Hey there, listeners. Thanks for tuning in to Samira Stalks. This is a podcast about the dreamers out there and their stories of entrepreneurship. So if you're curious, creative, and you're ready to make an impact on this world, then this is for you. Welcome to episode 18 with me, your host, Samira Sohail. Thanks for stalking us if you're new and for those who keep coming back for more. So I got some useful feedback around the style of the show, that it's getting better. Please do keep that coming at Samira Stalks on Twitter. And if you haven't already, do sign up to my newsletter, samirastalks.com, to keep up to date with the most outrageous stories in the world of tech and startups. Today's guest is Harry Stebbings, a 20-year-old charmer who has become somewhat of a rock star in the venture capital industry. For those of you who don't know, venture capitalists are often the first finance backers of high-risk technology companies. They write the first checks for the likes of Facebook, Uber, Airbnb, and the rest of them. In this episode, we'll hear about how Harry, a British schoolboy, made his mark on the industry through his podcast, The 20 Minute VC, all off his own back after watching The Social Network at 13. How he's managed to build an army of 100K brand advocates without spending a single dollar on paid marketing and he's persuaded over 600 influential investors to engage on his show. What investment categories he thinks are ripe for disruption, from education to autonomous cars. And lastly, we discuss the tipping point of when tech starts to harm rather than help society, pondering questions behind the morality of artificial intelligence and whatnot. Enjoy! We've all heard of mavericks and billion-dollar startup founders at university. But Harry Stebbings is slightly different. From a non-techie background and a tad obsessive about the venture capital industry, he set out to make his mark on it after watching The Social Network as a teen. Why wouldn't he? We've all seen the stories of a VC's power to affect global impact at scale, with the likes of Obama even hinting that's his next move, Kobe Bryant and U2's Bono to ex-bankers throwing their hat in the ring. Harry is the host of the 20 Minute VC podcast, and has over 100k subscribers. His efforts have manifested themselves in a bout of angel investing. And he's done all of that, and he's still only 20 years old. Outside the VC startup world, he promises to make a mean mojito, is an avid runner, and a secret One Direction fan. (laughs) (laughs) So welcome Uh, to the show, Harry. Well, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, glad you mentioned the One Direction. Bit of Taylor Swift always goes a a long way too. (laughs) (laughs) Good to know. So in a line, Harry, can you just tell us what the 20 Minute VC is? Sure. So it's a podcast dedicated to interviewing the most prominent venture capitalists in a very distinct 20 minutes. Excellent. And so we'll move on to that uh, a little bit later. But I want to go back, I guess, to the beginning. So you were actually thinking about publishing a book, if that's right, <laughs> uh, when you stumbled upon the podcast world. You, and I'll actually tell you my first ever <laughs> entrepreneurial endeavour was when I was at school, so which wasn't all that long ago, actually. But I had notes from my teachers, and I thought, there's, there's money to be made here. These are great notes, and so I published them as Amazon Kindle eBooks. Okay. Uh, and started making three, 400 quid a week from these notes. And I was thinking, wow, this is pretty good as a 16, 17-year-old. And then with my love of VC, I thought, you know, this could be brilliant, not knowing that I had no writing ability at the time, and a book was not a good option. But that's why I was contemplating a book. Yeah. I see. Um, and so... So you decided to immerse yourself in the VC industry then mm-hmm. at that kind of age, um, but you went with a, a podcast in, in the world of 
YouTube, Instagram, Snapchat, blogging. Um, but yeah, just take us to that moment where you decided on the 20 minute VC format and, and yeah, what, what your intentions were really. Yeah, I think, I think in terms of kind of the medium itself, the podcast is very much a case of if you look at the alternatives, you know, Instagram, it's not possible to get long form content that's actually intellectual on, on Instagram. Snapchat really is too short form. Retention's tricky. Uh, Mark Suster does his yeah, Snapstorm. Great, but really, I mean, they're long and to be honest, you know, I I'm not sure about the retention on them. Uh, YouTube takes a huge amount of editing. Video is, is tough. Uh, and I, you know, I've got a face for radio, so it probably makes much more sense <laughs> to do, do podcasts. And then podcasts... What are you saying, Harry? <laughs> exactly. Uh, but podcasts also, you've just got to look at the future market in terms of um, audio in cars and kind of yeah. connected cars. Podcasts will reach a billion listeners by 2020. And now we're at, I think, 220 million. I think by positioning... Well, when I started in 2015, positioning myself at that point in the market, although slightly later than I would have liked, still early enough to really gain traction. So that's why I chose podcasting. And uh, and then specifically about, you know, the, the VC industry and, and when did that obsession or that, that spark kind of happen? Well, you, you very kindly mentioned it from the social network. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was sitting in the cinema and I saw Peter Thiel invest in Facebook with Claren Capital. And I thought, wow, that looks like a great job. Now, obviously, it's probably the most successful uh, investment of the last decade. Of course, it looked brilliant. Um, but I'm kind of absolutely obsessed with the things that I love in terms of learning and absolutely not in the things I don't. Probably why, uh, why I would be in biology at GCSE. Uh, but anyway, um, so, so I went home when I was 13 after watching the social network and read avidly about VC five, six years. Uh, and then, and that really was the spark for me. Um, and then I decided that there was no venture capital podcast and that was the format I was going to choose. So yeah, that was the start of my love catalyst and so to any of my listeners who aren't kind of avid VC stalkers like me and you can you actually explain what venture capital is sure it's it's I always explain well, I explain it to my family it's like Dragon's Den but we have more cash and we are more helpful um, but that's not really it. it's early stage investing in technology um, whereby hopefully there's a strategic value add of, of the investor be it mostly in, in network introductions, hiring. I think more and more we're seeing operational value add too in terms of your Andreessen's bringing financial, accounting, legals, marketing. Um, so yeah, early stage investing in high risk technology startups, um, that really covers seed series A and maybe series B. And then as we get further and further down the line, it's really growth investment, which which is where I lose interest. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and so, like I said at the beginning, you're at 100k subscribers now with the podcast, um, and you've developed a number of dif disciplines, uh, but in particular, you've done particularly well on uh, content marketing, and it's been a kind of cru crucial component and driver of your success. Um, so many brands are kind of throwing paid marketing spend behind, uh, behind social media channels, which they really have no control over. They're, they're slave to these algorithms. Uh, it's coined a necessary evil in the industry. But can you talk about some of the tactics that you've used to kind of develop your audience? Some base? of the tactics. The tactics yes, Harry. let's talk about tactics. Um, so I've never paid a dollar for marketing. Uh, I, I kind of resent it, I think. Probably not even a lot will disagree with this. A lot will disagree with most things I say, by the way. But if, if you know, largely, if you have a great product, it can sell itself. 
uh, if the market's not too proliferated. Um, so for me, it was all about, and there's nothing wrong with this, riding on the tails of people's, riding on the tailcoats of very successful people. My first guest was Guy Kawasaki. He had two million followers on Twitter. That's quite a distribution channel for me to latch onto. You know, uh, so I knew that if I got him on the show, I would not only get a good, strong following from the beginning, but also there's validity to it. You know, yeah. if you have a strong guest on the show, uh, you can then say to your Mark Sustis, your Ben Horace, Guy Kawasaki was on the show, you should do it too. And there's that social validity. So that was great. But in terms of the actual tactics, like personalization is key when you are when you're marketing. I, I get so many kind of, can you help me market this? And I'm more than happy to help people market things if they've done their homework, like, yeah. you know, it's like, can I pick your brains over coffee? You know, I'm, it's, this sounds terribly angry, but it's like, no, if you sent me a nicer email that actually just showed some research and homework, yeah. like, I'm really interested in this space and I loved your podcast on this, can we go for coffee? Of course. But it, you know, you just have to think a little deeper about how to market. So personalize, personalization is key in terms of making it right for them in terms of distribution. So that can be very, you know, big guests on the show, we make it as easy as possible for them to share. Do click to tweets. Yeah. You know, tweeting is a pain in the arse. Yeah. They don't know the at symbol, they don't know the hashtags, they don't have the link. We'll just do a click to tweet, yeah. all they have to do is press a button and they're done. Uh, you know, also with, with distribution, customer success, I don't know if, do you, so customer success is key and it's a weird one to attribute to, to marketing, but it's key in the way that you're building brand advocates. And it's not just about helping retention of listeners, but you're actually helping upsell in the way that building brand advocates builds massive uh, engagement further on through word of mouth. Yeah. If you have your 100 listeners and you really treat them with a lot of love and care, you can turn that into a thousand because they will speak to 10 people about your show if you reply to their emails, reply to their Snapchats. You know, everyone who Snapchats me gets your response. There's a lot of Snapchat. Yeah. I, th- I, th- I think a lot of people would like me to get off Snapchat, but um, but you know it's really important to show that care and attention in the early days, especially when you're looking to grow that following. Uh, so customer success is key. In terms of, um, it's kind of like VC, really. You know, you can speak to the analysts and the associates as much as possible if you're a startup and you want to get investment, but it really comes with the decision makers and the influencers. That's where you're going to get the term sheet. But it's the same in marketing, you know, you can have small people and you might get incremental following increases, but if you want to have those big kind of strategic jumps in your audience, you have to go to the influencers. Great. Um, Yeah. And you did that very well with Product Hunt, I might add. Well, thank you. Yeah, that was was very nice. Uh, (laughs) Um, But I've I've long held the view that, you know, technology and digital disrupted really the content space first, uh, you know, music, radio, uh, TV uh, with online players. And then it kind of moved through to this e-commerce uh, space. Uh, and now I think what's really exciting is that we're looking at the effects of it on, uh, on education, on, you know, bots, fintech, biotech, energy, where you can start to potentially solve, you know, not real global problems, but like humanitarian. Not just food delivery. Yeah. So which of those kind of, which of those industries uh, interest you and, and why? Yeah. I mean, I always actually revert back to, to Magic Pony, the startup okay. from Australia yeah. first was acquired by Twitter. Just, and, and this will um, probably rile a lot of people again, but just in the way that I, I actually think it was a shame, the acquisition, because I think it had the potential 
to do kind of widespread education throughout Africa. You know, there's a billion people in Africa. The main problems are low bandwidth and poor connectivity. You know, Magic Pony's algorithms had the ability to stream any educational format to low bandwidth Africa and educate a billion people. Um, I would, you know, education is still massively under underutilized and underserved by technology. Uh, I think it's probably because it's that one of the hardest to monetize, yeah. one of the hardest to get right. Um, well, Mark and his wife actually just invested in a, a, a non-profit Indian uh, kind of platform, Udemy type platform. Oh yeah, I uh, saw that. I can't yeah. remember what it's called, but no, I, I agree with you on the education front. Um, so that's definitely front of mind. I think, you know, fintech bots. Yeah, I, I don't think it's kind of huge, huge changes that we're, we're going to see play out massively. I think autonomous vehicles is like, unbelievably interesting. Um, I think there's also big moral debates around the uh, surplus of labor and what's going to happen to all the you know, US truck drivers who don't have college degrees and suddenly have no job. What happens there? I'm not a fan of this kind of philosophical view that we'll all turn to art and poetry and kind of fulfil ourselves in much more intellectual fashions. It's just not how it's going to work. So, so that is a problem. But, but you know, I, you know, we we change. Uh, I always believe in Milton Friedman's kind of human wants uh, are infinite, uh, and we'll just adjust to those. So, you know, when we had horses, they were far less efficient than tractors. Um, you know, we yeah. change. We now want connectivity on our phones to deliver the whole time. So. <laughs> um, but let's get into the world of, uh, of venture capital and uh, the people behind it. So I need to ask you, how on point is uh, Silicon's Va- Silicon Valley's HPA series? Do you know, no, that's, that's like a really <laughs> funny question. Um, and actually, I was watching it the other day. I'm a bit behind. I don't get to watch much TV, uh, sadly. Um, but... Uh, I was watching it and I was watching uh, one of the meetings they were having in kind of a VC boardroom and I was looking at the phone system they had, the kind of conference calling mm. system and I was like, I've seen that exact system like thousands of times. This is unbelievable. I mean, true credit to, to the producers and the creators because it is brilliant. In terms of similarities, you know, there's a lot of similarities. Yeah, team dynamics is very similar. I mean, the thing that they get pretty fundamentally wrong is kind of VCs, you know, I think Raviga is the VC fund there, and they have that terribly uptight woman, uh, Lorna, or whatever her name is, and that's not it at all. VCs are probably actually some of the most personable, um, brilliant, charming people that we have in society, because they have to be so good at charming, because it's such a competitive environment, you know? If you are the hot startup, they've got to persuade you that their term sheet is better than someone else's, so they have to be charming, they have to be very personable. Um, so that is one way that they're very different. But yeah, they've done well. I like the show a lot. And um, so you've actually done over, you know, six hundred interviews with some of, with most prominent VCs really on the planet. And um, but you know, what one of your one of your first questions is how did you and how did you get into this space? Mm. What is the most kind of off the wall story apart from yours, obviously, uh, that you've heard as as a route in? Yeah, no, I love it. I love it when people say, "Oh, you know, Harry, it's just really serendipitous," and you're like. Alright, okay, that's kind of the 500th time I've heard this one. Uh, but there was one guy, Ezra Goulston, 
Um, they're from, I think it was Chicago Ventures. No, I think it was Chicago Ventures. Um, lovely chap. Anyway, I asked him how he got in. And he created, he was a poker player. Okay. And he was a brilliant poker player. Um, and I'm not sure how that transitioned into VC. There's no obvious alignment. But he made the swift transition from poker playing, kind of analyzing uh, decks and, and tables of cards uh, into VC. That was a very memorable one. Uh, Amir Eloguizi, who's a founder, uh, also created PokerBots Online, uh, which was a very interesting transition into the startup world. Um, so yeah, some very strong similarities between that. Uh, Jason Calacanis, I don't know if you know Jason, but he, you know, he's a massive poker player. Poker and VC is a very closely game. aligned game. Um, yeah. Okay. Are you are. a poker player? Am I a poker player? I actually stopped betting after I lost too much money kind of betting on sport, but I do play poker uh, occasionally. Okay. That'll be the odd time, yeah. Dabble. And so I think every business school candidate is kind of gunning to get their foot in the door in the industry. And I kind of love your hashtag no excuses story. Uh, you, you, know, you know, lead by example in terms of what you've done. And so, you know, you watched a film, acted on it, and uh, now you're in a position to angel invest yourself. Um, but you've listened to, you know, the best theses really from uh, A16, you know, index, upfront, and the rest of them. Um, how would you sum up your investment strategy? Yeah, I think I think I sum it up kind of twofold, and two people both told me this, and it was Satya Patel at Homebrew, uh, brilliant seed stage fund in San Francisco, and, and then uh, Mark Andreessen, obviously at Andreessen Horace. Uh, and they both told me that kind of the secret to investing is having strong beliefs weekly held. Uh, and it's one of, the, one of the best things that happens when you talk to kind of fund managers and the best fund managers is they'll ardently believe that the future of uh, energy is solar power. Yeah. And then you'll present a coherent thesis that actually it's hydropower and suddenly they'll turn. Uh, and so I always believe in strong, strong beliefs weekly held. I try and uh, approach kind of all investment analysis uh, or decision making processes with that thesis. Um, in terms of kind of my, my strategy itself, I also believe that you know, you've got a, the biggest strength we can have is knowing what we don't know. And if a company in the AI space comes to me looking for investment or you know, gets referred to me, the, the honest truth is deep tech wise, there are better people to analyze this yeah. than me. And I think knowing that and then the, the secret and the proprietary data, proprietary kind of uh, advantage that I have is just kind of the network to be able to then go and speak to the best AI consultant, you know, data analyst, whatever, uh, and ask them. They know mm. better than me. And then you can kind of crowdsource your DD process. So I'm a big fan of that. Uh, but then also kind of generally, I'm just a big fan of investing in tertiary markets. So in terms of what will happen in the future, you know, autonomous cars, as we said, by 2025 will be mainstream in most of modern society. Uh, okay, that's great and fantastic, but I'm more interested into the tertiary markets that are affected by that. How is auto insurance, insurance yeah. boom, uh, great minds, uh, how is that affected by autonomous vehicles when no one's behind the wheel, you know, liability, morality, do you, do you, know, do you run over the kid or do you run over the 10 old people? Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know, but I think that, you know, drones, yeah. you know, we are not going to have sorry, delivery drivers driving around in 10 years' time, we will get deliveries by drone, you know, drone dashboards, drone APIs, how are kind of huge central management systems going to manage thousands of drones every day? 
uh, and that's where I look. And so speaking, you know, you touched on it there, the morality, you know, mm. at what point is technology, you know, not good for society? Yeah, it's, it's, it, no, it's a really good question. It's one, it's one my mother frequently poses when I'm emailing <laughs> at the dinner table. Um, but I think, do you know what, I, I don't actually think there's a limit yet until we get to an element of self-sustaining artificial intelligence whereby we're no longer necessary for artificial intelligence to, to survive and thrive, which is probably ASI, artificial superintelligence, so 60 years time plus. So, but for the moment, you know, we are all superhuman. You know, I got to, to this interview today through Google Maps, something that I never had. I've always had it because I'm relatively young, but people never had 30 <laughs> years ago. Pretend, Harry. Uh, and, <laughs> so uh, pretend that you've ever walked around with an ace of head. What? But, you know, we are all superhuman. You know that the tube is three minutes away and there's delays in the northern line. I mean, it's unbelievable the knowledge that we have. And I don't think, other than self-sustaining AI, that there's serious threats to us. Um, you know, sure, there's always kind of ways that we could further... I'm having troubles myself just segregating myself from work. Exactly. Because it's always on me. You know, my holiday this year was cut short. I went for 12 hours and then my sight went down and I was like, damn, i got to go home. Um, but I had that because technology was always with me. It's, yeah. It's dangerous to be always on you. Okay. Well, yeah, maybe it's a whole other episode in itself, actually. <laughs> um, but, so, the VC industry, like, I guess... How do you think the VC industry will evolve going forward in a world where maybe access to capital is becoming more consumer-centric with the rise of things like Crowdcube, Cedars, Kickstarter? You know, what is the role of them? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Uh, one of my friends, uh, James Wise, partner at Balderton, always says to me, like, oh, Harry, you never know where this industry is going to be in five years' time, ten years' time, which always kind of made me very nervous uh, planning a career in the industry but I think actually on this case I, I you know I, I disagree with that view of kind of the diminishing element of venture because sure we've got greater accessibility to capital but you know we do not have when you raise on a, a crowdfunding platform you get nowhere near the investor value add that you do from from VCs you know it could be hiring partnerships expansion, go-to-market strategies, all these different things that are vastly different when you have institutional investors who've done it before, seen scaling processes, and have this mass market knowledge. Um, but then you've also got, in terms of follow-on funding, you know, raising on Crowdcube or whatever platform you choose to raise on does not mean you have access to follow-on funding. Mm. Largely, if you get seed funding, if they don't have follow-on reserves, they will have connections who will likely follow on. And it's just such a, it's a dangerous market. And I mean, crowdfunding itself is a massively interesting one in the way that I think it's really quite a binary outcome for crowdfunding. It will either be absolutely massive if yeah. there's a huge IPO and everyone sees a thousand people get really rich off it, or all the companies that have been funded so far, not all of them, 80%, are going to not hit their business models, as they said, they would not hit their unique economics, and a lot of people are gonna lose a lot of money. If that's the case, then it's obviously the other way. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to stake my claim in either one, but it's it's an interesting one. But no, I think venture is an eco is an ecosystem as an industry is safe as long as we continue to provide the service that that I think VCs have done. Great. Um, so young people, I think in particular, and students. Young people. Young people. Young people. <laughs> um, I think are constantly looking for what I call kind of 
uh, additional income strategies, so passive income, uh, whether that's tutoring, done that, Uber driving, kind of a social media influencer or Airbnb, you know, on their weekends abroad. And what's your view on this idea of a portfolio career going forward? And do you see a trend in the rise of non-traditional kind of routes across your peer group and you, know, you being a key example of that, I suppose? Yeah, I mean, non-traditional, uh, I guess, summarises me pretty well. Um, but in terms of kind of portfolio careers, I think, you know, it's a very interesting one, but it's also a case of, of the individual. And some people have an innate passion to learn new industries on a very regular basis, in which case a portfolio career is fantastic. And, you know, as long as you're okay with the volatility of income and stature and respect in different communities as you move from one to another where it will differ, then, then fantastic, go for it. But, but otherwise, you know, like for me, I've luckily, and I'm really lucky in this way, you know, I know a lot of friends who don't know what they want to do. Like, that must suck, right? I have no idea what that feels like because I've known I want to be a VC since I was 13. And, you know, I obviously still have that passion. So, for, you know, for me, I've always viewed my career actually, actually quite traditionally in, the, in that way. Mm. Bit of a different model. Um, but portfolio careers, yeah, all about the person. But the main thing is just got to do what you love. And like I, Steve Jobs always said, you know, if you wake up every single day for three months and look in the mirror and you realize you're going to do something that you're not happy with that day, then don't do it. It's a simplistic view, but I, you know, I like to think that every single day I wake up doing what I love. Speaking to brilliant people like you, oh. um, <laughs> uh, and you know, I love what I do, and that's that's great, and that's what it's about. Um, and if you love what you do, you'll be good at it. Good. As long as it's not illegal. Or criminal. <laughs> um, but you're still pretty young. Um, and relatively. Relatively. The Botox hides a lot. <laughs> uh, what would you say, you know, your biggest mistake or struggle or failure to date has been? God, what a deep question. I mean, there's there's kind of a quite there's an answer which I'd I'd like to give which doesn't reveal too much, which is I didn't think very much about the tech stack behind the business. You know, we built on pretty dodgy fundamental like web hosting platforms and poor design of sites and a lot of integral technical difficulties which which cause problems later on and a lot of problems later on. So I wish I'd really considered the tech stack first. In terms of mistake or failure that I don't want to admit but that I will admit is is impatience. You know, I was young and I wanted a role in VC and I impatiently once was about to receive an offer and, and actually didn't get it because of the impatience and um, and that you know that was a big learning curve for me. I went back to the drawing board and realised that actually I spoke to a founder, uh, Michael Litt at Vidyard, and he told me he'd never done fundraising uh, because he just focused on the product. And if you focus on product, people will come. Be too good that they cannot ignore you. And after the rejection because of my impatience, I thought actually you know what Harry, still a lot to learn. Uh, build the product, focus on the product. Mm. The product at the time made enough money to live. And so I focus on the product and, you know, obviously with time, very nicely, you know, more offers have come. Um, but yeah, that was a big learning curve for me. You know, it's, as you said, it's like a long career. I'm 20. I'm going to be doing something for, well, I mean, to like die because I never want to retire. But, you know, it, you do have time, which sounds very boring and old, doesn't it? My word. Um, but yeah, so, so that was a big, big learning curve for me, for sure. 
So this is Samira Stalks, after all, and no doubt you're quite the stalker yourself. Um, but can you take us through a, a funny fail story of uh, of one of your uh, stalking ventures? Okay. You're very, you know, really kindly. Um, often say oh, it's really nice to come on the show, and you've done very well at making people like you, which obviously is really humbling and, and fantastic. And I'm so pleased about that. But there was, you know, there's one VC in London, uh, I'm not going to name names, uh, who is my nemesis. <laughs> and, I, and I asked them, uh, not even gender specific, that's how secret this one is. And I asked them, um, you know, will you come on the show? Well, I was pretty small, but very politely, I did my research, I cited articles, videos that I loved, why I loved them, and why I thought they'd be a great interview. And I got this response, and this was in 2015 that my next 20 minute slot is in January 2017. Uh, Naturally, uh, I wasn't thrilled at that email. Uh, Now I think I would respond. We're nearly there, we're nearly there, come on. (laughs) I don't think it's worth the wait actually. But now I would respond a lot more vociferously than I did then, which was like, oh, I completely understand. But I saw them, I've seen them several times at kind of VC conferences and, and meetups and and in this building at Bloomberg, actually. Um, and and kind of you have that stare across the room. And they, then they know that I'm pissed off at them because I've mentioned them before on other podcasts. Uh, and and that would probably be my biggest fail story where I, you know, I really tried and they said no. Um, yeah. Right, well, maybe, you know, 500th episode special or something. No, no, they missed the chance. Oh, no, wow, no, no. okay. No, let's be Cold as that, Harry. Cold as that. Okay, right. Um, good to know that that's your, <laughs> that's your <laughs> stake on things. Um, so this is the quickfire round, so okay. no need to prep. But um, what would you say your top three values are? Top three values to an investor? No, just Harry as a person. Oh, God. Uh, that really is deep. Well, I'm incredibly one-dimensional, so uh, I, I do basically have a life completely revolved around venture. In terms of values, you know, I think genuinely no one loves what they do more than me, uh, which means that work isn't work for me. It's it's a hobby, which is why I work 16 hour days. Um, so I, I would say that's one. In terms of value, love, family is always key to me. Family is key. Uh, yeah, three things that matter most to me actually: uh, venture, uh, family, and learning. You know, this go. whole industry is based around kind of mental expansion. So yeah. for me, that's crucial. Okay. Um, what was the last thing that inspired you? Watching Paralympics okay. always massively inspiring. Uh, you know, kind of you know Johnny Peacock running on you know one leg, uh, and seeing all that he's had to go through it really puts things into perspective. Uh, and make, yeah, but makes you realise also that just anything's possible. I mean, God, these guys are incredible. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that really inspired me. And uh, what was it, you've hinted at it, but what was your last music jam? Music jam? Yeah. I, I am very much stuck in Bieber's latest album, which okay. actually isn't that recent. Um, very good though. But, but brilliant, who doesn't love a bit of Love Yourself? What, uh, what fictional character do you remind yourself of? Oh. Fictional character. Well, that implies that I have to read fiction, which which has been a long, long time. But probably in that case, it would go back to the days of Roald Dahl. Uh, Great, it was his uh, birthday I, thing. I, I, I think you. God, that's a really. I need to take these questions to my own shape. God, what fictional character do I remind myself of? I think it'd be quite fun to be Willy Wonka. Okay. Um, you know, I mean, innately passionate about what he does. <laughs> Unbelievably one-dimensional. 
um, huge grandiose visions. Yeah, I, th- I think I could do that. Maybe maybe he's got a bit of better dress sense than me, but you know. <laughs> not far off in your Not black. far off in my PC swag. <laughs> um, and lastly, what tea do you drink? What tea? Mm. Oh my god. Actually, for anyone listening, uh, I've recently been going kind of regular meetings with uh, Mark Evans at Spring, and he's introduced me to, to iced tea, okay. like proper iced tea, not like Lipton's iced tea, which now is a tea snob I can say is, is inferior. Uh, but the good and proper in Clerkenwell does the most unbelievable tea, and I have no idea what type it is, uh, but it's phenomenal. Um, I would probably say also go on running marathon as well. Um, so, uh, so green tea for the metabolism. Okay. Key, you know, got to keep those pounds off despite the digestives. Um, yeah, green tea is up there. All right. Um, and lastly, I guess, what parting words would you look to give someone who wants to, you know, make a positive impact uh, on industry or through entrepreneurship? Yeah, I think the first thing is kind of do what, and this is so uh, stereotyped, but it's got. Firstly, it's got to be do what you love. You know, that has to be the number one reason. Do what you love and you'll be good at it. Uh, and I generally think, do what you love, you'll be good at it, and then money will come. Mm. You know, I'm not a believer in kind of a common theme in VC, which is kind of money doesn't matter, money doesn't matter. You know, money does matter. It should be way down on your priority list. Mm. But, you know, do what you love, good, you'll be good at it, and then the money will come. Uh, I would also say that ideas are nothing. Share ideas with everyone. It's all about execution. You know, I, I dithered for a while on the idea of the podcast, and actually the biggest step was just launching version one. Yeah. And it wasn't perfect. It was actually really crap, uh, to be honest. <laughs> Where would you uh, say I am? <laughs> I say brilliant. Um, but, you know, it was about V1. Reid Hoffman says, you know, if you're not embarrassed by your first product shipment, yeah. it's too late. And he's absolutely right. Um, you know, what else would I say? It's got to just make the first step. Um... Yeah, I mean, the, the other one is, like, also, once you've made the first step and you have hard times, uh, I always go back to something that my stepfather, Andrew, taught me. And he, he taught me to ask yourself a question, a self-reflective question on, would I be happy seeing someone else doing what I'm doing? So when I have bad days doing the 20-minute VC, which you know, can happen, uh, I always kind of sit there and go, would I be happy seeing someone else doing, sitting in this seat, having these interviews and these subscribers and if the answer is no always then you know that despite the hard times you're doing the right thing for you so I'd always always finish on finish on that you know always ask yourself would I rather someone else does this and if the answer is yes then sort it yeah book a holiday (laughs) great well um thank you so much for being on the show Harry Mm -hmm. thank you so much for having me no it's great to chat thanks for listening you've got to love Harry's fresh-eyed optimism And if you enjoyed that one, you might also like episode 10 with Shil Monarch, a partner at the VC firm 500 Startups, where we discuss how technology helps to bring finance to the rest of us. Do reach out at Samira Storks on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter to keep up to date with my dabblings behind the scenes, who's coming up on the show, or just to say hey. And more importantly, take action. Send this episode to a friend, leave a review on iTunes and get going on your own adventures. I'll join you again in a fortnight. Bye.